You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Um, as you can probably guess, what we've been looking at lately is Psalms, so we're going to stay in the Psalms this morning. Um, but we're also going to tie into Ian's couple of preachers in the last couple of weeks as well with um, preaching on false gospels and false doctrines and false preachers. So today we're actually going to be looking at that that scary word that lots of Christians love to run and hide and don't truly understand, and that's prosperity. So we're going to be tackling this and unearthing through what the word actually says about prosperity and Christians prospering. Believe it or not, with, with everything that's going on and people, the prosperity gospel, Christians are meant to prosper, but it's a different type of prospering what the world sees to what we should be. So we're going to, we're going to dig into that. We're going to see what the word says. And we're actually going to have a look a bit in history of the way that history tends to repeat itself in this prosperity gospel sort of thing as well. So to start off with, we're going to start off with the word because that's always the best place to start. There's no point me just saying things and not putting any truth to it. So if you'd like to turn to Psalm 1, we're going to start right at the first Psalm of the the chapter. So hopefully it should be pretty straightforward to find. Um, It's right before Psalm 2, right at the start of the book, just in case you're having trouble. All right, so Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. This psalm is called The Way, the Righteous, and the Wicked. So verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord, and the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So I'm not sure whether you picked it up. That word uh, prosper was in there. So we're going to concentrate on verse 3 today. So starting off, you'll find in, at the end of verse 3 a very interesting line that, that sort of contradicts a lot of things that we're taught sometimes. That is, it's talking about a righteous person, but it's also talking about the righteous prospering. If you look at this one verse alone, you can see why there's a lot of problems with people's theology. If you take it out of context, you've got prosperity gospel. But if you put it in context, you get the understanding that Christ has made us to prosper. Um, the word, the word, so the Bible is clear and it's true. As a Christian, we are made to prosper. The true meaning of prosperity and what the true meaning of prosperity actually looks like. We actually need to dig into the word to find the meaning of this. And to actually, we need to allow Christ to change our mindset on what prospering actually looks like. Okay, so if we, if we take the verse at face value without looking into it straight away from an earthly eyes, you can easily get lent into the prosperity gospel. As we learned from Ian, it's not a gospel at all. They love to give you a scripture like this and leave out all the context and say that you are made to prosper, that you, um, they appeal to the earthly desires of an earthly heart. And what brings the comfort to a lot of people and makes a lot of people feel good, they think that they can buy their way to God and prosperity. The prosperity gospel loves taking God's word and plucking it and choosing the context that they, that feels good to them and how they think it should fit.
So if I was a prosperity gospel teacher, what I'm not, I'm glad I'm not. Please pick me up if that ever comes across because I'd never want to be there. But if I was, you'd see the title of this, that the righteous prosper. And you could really drill this into people about their prosperity and how their prosperity should look from an earthly view. Um, how you should be blessed beyond your imagination, how you should have that Ferrari and Gucci bag. And all you need to do is generously give and God will God will bless you through that. Sounds great, but as Ian has been preaching, it's more than one thing wrong with this. It's far away from what the true gospel actually is. It's it's not a gospel at all. It's a scam on on Christianity. It's not the first or the last that people preach. It's not the first time or the last time that people people will preach that your money can buy your blessing and prosperity. As we can look back through history, um, another famous time in history was Martin Luther. Back in Martin Luther's day, the church was selling to the community indulgences, where were items that could help either pay for your loved ones or pay for your time in perjury. Perjury was a place where you went to pay for your sins. And they were often going to the community, selling these, per- selling these indulgences to people so that you spend less time in pur- purgatory. Sorry. Basically being taught that salvation is basically a big game of Monopoly. If you've got the more money you have, the more get-out-of-jail-free cards you can buy. Um, but Martha, but luckily for us in Reformation, Martin Luther didn't want to play this game of Monopoly, especially when he knew that the banker was cheating. The theory of indulgences was based on, on God. God loves it when you do good work for him. But if you can't do that good work, you can pay a price and that will be washed away. Um, and God will bless you for this. If you didn't feel like doing the good work, give your money and you'll be blessed and you'll help your loved ones out of purgatory. This theory disturbed Martin Luther and what these indulgences were wrong. It led him to write the 95 Thesis on this. In, 19, in 1517, Martin Luther published his 95 Thesis in an attempt to get the Roman Catholic Church to stop selling indulgences or these get-out-of-hell free cards. Uh, Luther didn't think that the church had authority to grant such indulgences, especially not for money. Just like the prosperity gospel preachers does not have the authority to grant health and riches over your life, no matter how much money you give. His 95 thesis, which uh, was propounded two central beliefs, that the Bible is the centrist religious authority and that humans may reach salvation only by their faith, not by their deeds was the spark of the Reformation. So we see back in the 1500s, Martin Luther challenged the church about money and what the Bible truly says about salvation and how it can't be bought. But yet in our day and age, we see history repeating itself and people still claiming to the prosperity can be bought. So after all that spill, we better get actually get into what the word actually says about prosperity. So we're going to dig into Psalm 1. Um, what it says... Diving into Psalm 1, the word truly teaches about prosperity as a Christian. And the psalm does say and is, tr- and is truth. All we, all he does is prosper. Um, so to understand how we are to prosper as a Christian, we need to unpack this. So we'll look at Psalm 1 verse 1 to 3 again. What says, he is like a tree. Uh, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, 
nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. And his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in season. His leaf does not wither, it does, and all that he does he prospers. I know I've had quite a few conversations with quite a few people about all that he does, he prospers, and how people find this contradicting to what a lot of the Bible says about what a Christian life looks like. We see that the psalm is talking about blessing. It is a man that go, is a man as we go through and find the line that he prospers. Sorry, guys, some really bad English in there. <laughs> um, it talks. It, talks about delighting in the Lord and meditating day and night on the Lord. That last line might, that says that we will prosper might contradict parts of the Bible. For example, Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And then in Malachi three fifteen, And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So we've got a bit of contradictory. So righteous prosper, but yet evil prosper at the same time. So we see in these two passages that people who are against God, who are evil, prosper in their ways. And it seems like they're allowed to prosper and escape from God's punishment in the earthly sense. Um, as we can see, that's really what's going on in the world at the moment. It's a real image of what the current world currently looks like. That Christians are persecuted for our beliefs. We're not always on top of things. We struggle in aspects of life. We might not have the money. We might not have the relationships. We might not have the friends. But yet we look at John Smith. If your name is John Smith, I apologize. But <laughs> if you look at most government forms, the example of a name is John Smith. So we'll just carry on with that one. But anyway, you see John Smith. He's lying, cheating his way to the top. He's loaded with toys. He's got that Ferrari. He's got that multi-million dollar uh, house. He looks like he's prospering in an earthly view. Then on the other hand, in scriptures, we see Psalm 44, 20 to 22. It says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? But he knows the secret of the heart. Yet for your sake, you are killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. We see in this passage that the righteous are like sheep being led away to the slaughter. We are killed all day long. From this passage, we see that evil is prospering in the world but the righteous suffer. So Psalm 1 can contradict saying that the righteous will prosper. So what is scripture actually saying when it says that all that he does, he will prosper? Um, is it saying he was never sick? He's never has money troubles. Is he never in relationship problems? That everyone that meets him loves him? That's not what it's saying. So, so how do we unpack this? If the righteous prosper, what does that look like? We also see in the world in the word that we suffer and evil prospers. Do we just rule this scripture out as a mistake, as the psalmist has just got this wrong, horribly wrong, or I don't get it, so do we just leave it and not look into it? Quite often you'll find that these scriptures that contradict themselves are actually there for a reason. They're actually some of the biggest insight that God uses into, um, well, in this case, prosperity. And to dig into them actually opens up a new mindset of what our prosperity looks like. There's a reason that it's there to make us think. It's actually trying to say, teach us something and actually highlighting prosperity so that we'd think about it as Christians. 
And if we just rule it out as being something that we don't understand or it's just contradictory, it can't be part of God's word, then we actually miss an amazing piece of God's word that's actually teaching us about true prosperity and which we gain through the gospel. As we know that God's word is true and there is truth to this line that the righteous prosper in all that we do. So let's unpack this amazing promise that, that seems hard to understand or contradictory. We know that the Old Testament in so many areas, it's pointing to Christ and there's people, types of Christ, in, as they say, that point towards Christ. It's the same to understand this line in scripture. It's actually pointing to Christ and what God is going to do in the future. Lucky for us, the future to the Old Testament was a New Testament, so we can actually go see how it unfolded. So Romans 8, 32, 37, it says, he, he did not spare his son, but he gave him up for us. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things or shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or disease or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long and regarded as sheep to, to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We see in Romans, the first couple of verses uh, posted a question. Um, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How then shall he not also give him gracious, graciously give all things? All things is also another word as prosper. If you look at it, if you have all things in this world, most people will say that you're prospering. Then the answer to this question is in the next verse. We prosper because, because of Christ. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? What an amazing verse, an amazing insight into what is true, true prosperity. True prosperity through the gospel is nothing we can do or give. There's nothing that we can buy. There's nothing that we can even offer. It's all through Christ and what Christ did for us. And it's been given to us by God. What can possibly separate us from the amazing love? No trial, no hard time, no distress, no persecution can ever tear us away from the prosperity we have in Christ. We see Psalm 40 quoted here, what we read before, that, all, all, that, through the, that we are killed all day long and we are led to slaughter and never torn away from God. We see all things mentioned in Romans. Um, we see the things as tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword. We all face these things for our life. Verse 36 says, for, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are guarded as sheep to be the slaughter. All, all these things and all these things are not sorry. And then verse 37, it says, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. The key, the key is here. We suffer. We go through hard times. We go through persecution through our lives. We suffer for him. But heads up, we are prospering while we're suffering. There's none of these things can ever tear us away from God's love. Um, and we are more than conquerors, not, not by our strength, but through Christ who gives us the strength. He conquered all sins and deaths in our life. We see that Christ came. Through him coming, he graciously, graciously given us all things. Then through him, we are also conquerors, uh, conquerors in him. 
saying that through Christ, we prosper. Whether it's a negative bad time or a good time, we are prospering in Christ and through Christ. We see the example of prospering in Psalm 1 as well. At the start of verse 3, as it says, He is like a tree planted by the stream of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaves do not wither. It's another point that point without, if you read it at face value, it's like, oh yeah, tree is doing well, it's growing. But if you really think about it, it actually points to that through the negative and the positive that we prosper. If you're a green thumb, um, you sort of know what I'm talking about. If not, I'll explain it. Um, to, for a healthy fruit tree to produce good fruit and to produce perfect fruit and timing in season, everything's timed perfectly. So that fruit comes at the perfect time in the perfect season. And it's the same with us. Christ will give us the perfect thing in the perfect time. But also, for that tree to be at its best producing fruit, it's got to be pruned back hard each winter. Each winter it gets pruned back. Each winter it goes through a negative time, a hard time for that tree. But yet, as it goes through it, it's still prospering. You you prune a tree back for its own good. You prune it back so it will grow back bigger and better and produce bigger, better fruit each fruiting season. My point is that the example in Psalms, the author is getting across that all work and labor put in by that tree and the, and the grower will, uh, it, the tree goes through hard times. It gets pruned back. It gets cut back. Christ is pruning us and building our character. It's being changed. Even through those hard times, it's producing the resources that it needs to produce healthy fruit. We prosper in the negative times as we'll see in the next part of scripture. It's all good saying that through negative times to keep your head up because you're prospering. But when you're actually going through those times, it's not that easy to see. So we need to be based on the word and through the word. Because you're actually, if you put it this way, you're a tree being pruned back for your own good. So you produce good fruit. Psalm 119, 67 and 75 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your status. The insolence smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your status. The law of your mouth is better better to me than a thousand pieces of gold and silver. Your hands made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall shall, uh, shall see me and rejoice because I've hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, your rules are righteous and that in your faithfulness you have afflicted me. We see in verse 67 where it states, I was afflicted, uh, it says, before I was afflicted, I was astray, but now I keep your word, saying that before he was with God, he wasn't afflicted, but when he's with God, he's afflicted. Um, but through that affliction comes growth. He learned God's word. He's prospering through that affliction. He's getting pruned back, but bouncing back and producing fruit. We see that there is prospering even during times of affliction. He's learning God's word and growing. Even though he knows he's afflicted, he still knows that he's prospering through Christ. Uh, then verse 70, 71 says, It's good for me that I, I was afflicted, that I might learn your status. There's not many people out there that admit that it's good for, for them to be afflicted. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that, but yet there's truth to it. Another insight that as a Christian, it's actually good to be afflicted. That's why, because um, because he states, when you're afflicted, you might learn your status. You might learn more of God. Once again, it's more growth 
as the affliction's there, as it gets pruned back, you're knowing who God is and prospering. Like a tree um, that is afflicted at the time of pruning, through the pruning it prospers, and when fruiting season comes, it's physical evidence of that prospering through the hard times. Then we see in verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that your faithfulness you have afflicted me. That through God's faithfulness, he has afflicted us. It's a bit of a weird comment that God is faithful to us by afflicting us. But he knows what we just read. Because we are afflicted, we actually prosper in Christ. We learn to lean on him. We learn more of his word and we're planted in that word. And when we're planted in that word through the affliction, well, we know, I think I've mentioned more than once what happens to that tree. So we grow and produce that good good fruit. Through affliction, we gain character. And through, and when we are afflicted, we are growing in Christ. Then Christ's character is actually reflected for us, allowing God's word to prosper through us. And when that fruit comes out, people can see the glory of Christ and God. As, it, as we all know in Jeremiah, where it says that all things are working together for our good. Even where we're afflicted and with the hard times, Christ is still working towards our good. He's still prospering in our lives. We are still producing fruit of the labours that he's doing in us. As we saw in Romans, that Christ's, Christ's work has been done and that the cross not only allows us to be saved and through Christ, but we prosper through Christ when we're afflicted. He uses the negatives and the positives in our lives to produce fruit and to reveal his glory. Um, so next, next verse I want to look at is 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 58. What says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in work of the Lord knowing that the Lord, your labour, is not in vain. Take heart in Christ that through him, death has no sting. It has no control over us. It's been taken away through Christ. And through him, we are saved from the wrath of God. But also take heart and don't be discouraged. As when things seem like a massive slog, when they seem hard, when you feel like that mouse just running around in a ring, um, take heart that the labour is not for vain, in vain. The pruning, you're being pruned, but you're being pruned to produce good fruit that glorifies God. That the Lord will use you and all things will turn out for his good for all who believe in him. We see see back in the prosperity gospel and back in Luther's time, indulgences that they preached. Um, basically, they were preaching that if you are generous and you give, you can buy your way to heaven, you can buy your way to prosperity. You give me enough money and you know what? You'll end up with that Ferrari or that horse painted red back in Luther's time. All you need to do is be faithful and give generously and your life will prosper. You will live the best life you can and call to be. And if it doesn't come true, then you just don't have enough faith. Build your faith. What are you doing? Give me more money sort of thing. It's like saying if you're a Gold Coast supporter in football, sorry if you are, um, but it's like saying to that person, just have faith and they'll win the grand final when they didn't even make finals for the hundredth time and someone just says to you, oh, don't worry, you just didn't have enough faith. Next next time, just shout louder, scream at the umpire more. They'll change their minds. In the eyes, in their eyes of the prosperity gospel teacher, there's nothing wrong with the team or the coach. It's all about you of lack of faith. 
when that's completely wrong. When it all comes down to how that team's playing is completely comes from the coach and the players and what's going on. You can't control it with how much you scream at the umpire. You can't control it with how much you support your team. There's nothing that's going to make him play better other than what they're being taught. In the prosperity gospel's eyes, it's never about Christ and what Christ has done for you. You're taught about um, you're taught about forcing God's hand to bless you. What if you read in scripture is never a good idea. Like indulgences in Luther's day, uh, pay this and your time in purgatory will be shortened. Your sins won't be as bad. It'll be fine if you give me your money. It's all all falls on a false theory and a false image of who God is that you can pay your way to God. Also falls upon people wanting their own desire over what God has for them. It's a fallen mindset, the pros- what prosperity looks like. Um like John Smith has the Ferrari, the multi-million dollar shed. Um, and for someone who wants these things, and the prosperity gospel really appears to their hearts and their desires. As we see, the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all, apart from um, telling you that your desires are fine, but you can, you can pay for them and get them. The prosperity gospel does not preach Christ. It preaches your selfish greed and desire. It preaches something that needs to be paid for when Christ has already paid it on the cross. They preach a false gospel and in return people get false promises and in return they get a false ending and a false sense of security. They appeal to a heart desire of a a fallen race. But when people are saved, as we looked last time, Psalm 37, through, through salvation, through Christ alone we are saved. We are changed through that pruning. Our life and our character are changed to reflect Christ. Um, Psalm 37, 4 says, as we looked at last time, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you your heart's desires. We don't delight in oursel- ourselves in the Lord because he's going to give us that, our heart's desires um, like the prosperity gospel teaches. If you believe that, we've completely missed the point of Christ and salvation. As we have just been over, we are saved by Christ, in Christ, through Christ, for Christ. And here's a plan for our lives. Through this knowledge, we gain understanding that that to take delight in the Lord is to place him at number one in our lives. All our desires will be pushed out when he is number one. Our desires become his desires. Our character gets molded and changed to be more like him and reflect him. When we are fully saved, no... Don't get me wrong, you might be blessed. You might end up with that Ferrari. You might end up with that multi-million dollar house. You might even end up with a 50-cent bag of lollies. But in the end, that's not where your heart's desire is. It's on Christ and that Christ to be glorified. He's pruning you into the shape to reflect Christ. And when Christ's desire is our heart's desire, we prosper. There is no way we can lose. There's no way that we can lose or be uh, taken away from the love of Christ. In negative times and bad times, we're still producing fruit through Christ. Um, no matter what we do, no matter how we labor, when it's through Christ in his plan, everything succeeds and the fruit will come through. And when we take delight in the Lord, our heart's desires are to see Christ glorified and his plan comes in full effect. We know from the truth of the word that all these things will come to be and Christ will never fail never fail to fulfill the desire of our hearts. And when our hearts are set on him, he fulfills them daily. As we have seen today that we suffer affliction, 
uh, we are we prosper through that affliction. We also prosper during good times. When Christ is number one, we can't not prosper. Um, what is actually the true prosperity gospel is in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. The real pros- the the prosperity that the gospel has in our lives. It's a hard slog. It's not easy. It would never promise an easy ride. We'll never told that you pay this and I'll give you an easy life. But we're actually told in the scriptures to rejoice in affliction. It's better to be afflicted doing God's will than it is to do the ways of evil. It says in 1 Peter 13 to 20, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in their heart, reveal Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives the reason for hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience of those who speak malicely against you. Your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better to do God's will, to suffer for doing good, than to do evil. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the un- the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death the body and has been made alive in spirit. The true gospel does teach prosperity through Christ and in Christ. If Christ is not involved in that prosperity, then it's not the gospel. Um the true in prosperity, we grow in Christ. We are pruned back in Christ. We are made to reflect Christ and we're made to produce fruit through Christ. And people can see that fruit through us. Christ is glorified when we produce that fruit. True prosperity is given by Christ, through Christ, for Christ and for his glory. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.